Amen. Please take your seats. Uh, good morning. As Margaret said, my name's Dan. I'm part of the leadership here. Uh, great to welcome you if you are visiting us uh, or uh, relatively new here, as it's always great to welcome everyone who's always here as well. Um, now, as the old classic goes, uh, a young apprentice is sent into a plumber's merchant and to ask for a long wait. And uh, the sales attendant leaves the counter, goes off somewhere and, you know, takes a good time, maybe 15 minutes or so, leaving them with the long wait they came in to ask for. Today we're beginning our Advent series, looking at the events leading up to the coming of Jesus. And for many of us, these might be familiar stories. For most of us, we have some idea that this all happened a long time ago. But the people at the time, for them it was completely different. They didn't know all the stories off by heart. They hadn't been brought up with nativity plays and Christmas carols. None of this had happened. Nothing had happened. For hundreds of years, nothing. It was as if God had been silent. And the last Old Testament prophet to have received words from the Lord was probably Malachi, who's thought to have written his book around 430 years before Christ. Over 400 years separate the Old Testament and the New Testament part of the Bible. For us, that would have been going back as far as the 16th or 17th century, at the beginning of the 17th century. Imagine, no, no new revelation for that long. Maybe we'd be tempted to give up. And yet some people were patiently waiting. And this morning we're introduced to two of those people, a very old priest called Zechariah, and his equally old wife, Elizabeth. And this couple had actually had a long wait on two levels. Zechariah and Elizabeth had possibly spent their entire lifetime waiting for the Lord, their God, to speak and act again. And Zechariah and Elizabeth had also waited for years to have a child, yet they remained childless and were now too old to have a child naturally. They'd lived with longing for the Lord to come and longing for a child. And now finally, astonishingly, surprisingly, the Lord sends a messenger to tell them that the Lord has heard their prayers. Hear what the messenger says in chapter 1 of Luke's Gospel. We're reading from verse 11 uh, on page uh, 1025. Luke chapter 1, verse 11, page 1025. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah's name means the Lord has remembered, and so Zechariah signifies both the Lord remembering their own personal longing and at the same time, the Lord remembering his people and his plans for salvation. It's surprising uh, that infertile Zechariah and Elizabeth should conceive a child at such an old age. 
But it's not surprising that such a child will be a joy and a delight to them. What's also remarkable, though, is that this child will be the cause of rejoicing for many people and clearly has a significant role to play in God working out his purposes to rescue a people for himself. And this later point is the one that we're going to focus on this morning. Uh, Before we do that, very quickly, I just want to make one observation on Zechariah and Elizabeth's personal journey. And that is that silence doesn't mean sanction. You might be familiar with the, the concept in global politics a nation that's considered to be breaking international law or whatever might have sanctions imposed on it by other nations as a means of punishment, cutting off as a penalty for their actions. Experience, experience perceived silence from God for long enough, and we can be tempted to think that's exactly how God is treating us. Why isn't God healing me? Because of my inadequate faith? Is it because of my heart? Is God punishing me? Why isn't God blessing me with that thing that I'm longing for? Is God punishing me? And it can take a lot of words of encouragement to convince us that God isn't punishing us by withholding things from us. Perhaps that's why I just can't, and that's been our personal story, so I'm trying to move quickly. Perhaps that's why I just can't help pointing out these words from verse 6 of chapter 1, where we're given an insight into what God thinks of this childless couple. Both of them, verse 6, were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. Other people may look down on them. Elizabeth says in verse 25, The Lord has done this for me. In these days he's shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Other people may look down on them. Elizabeth herself may look down on herself. But in God's sight, they were righteous. And I just want to say that now in case there's anyone here this morning who's feeling that sense of being punished by God, actually, when that might be far from the truth. Only only you know your heart. But maybe God is trying to get your attention. Maybe he wants you to learn something. But it's not necessarily the case that he's punishing you. Silence doesn't mean sanction. Maybe God wants you to be reassured this morning that because you're in Christ, he looks with delight on you. He sees you as his beloved son his beloved daughter. He rejoices over you even. And yes, that doesn't take away our questions and we still might not have a clue about what God's doing in our life or the life of those we love. But at least we needn't go through that dark place with the additional burden of thinking God is our enemy who's against us. Maybe he's our loving father who's for us and moved by our suffering, wanting to walk with us through it. If we're in Christ, then the punishment for our sin has been borne by another. Uh, this truth is captured heartwarmingly in an 18th century hymn uh, written by a, a dude with a cool name, Augustus Montague, top lady. And uh, just a little couple of lines from this hymn. It's a great, great hymn. The, the all words are great. But uh, he says, Payment God cannot twice demand. First at my bleeding surety's hand, and then again at mine. The whole hymn is about Christ has taken the punishment, the payment for our sin. Payment God cannot twice demand. First at Christ's hand, and then again at mine. Which brings us back to the bigger picture plan of what God was working out. We might say God was killing two birds with one stone as he answered Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer for a child with a child who would also be part of his answer for their prayers for him to once again move among his people. It's not just Elizabeth and Zechariah's barrenness that the Lord puts an end to. For he also puts an end to the spiritual barrenness 
the apparent absence of his presence among his people. It's like he begins thawing the climate after a long, 400-year-long winter. If you've read C.S. Lewis's Narnia books or watched the films, maybe you think of the line, Aslan is on the move. This child promised to Zechariah and Elizabeth is the sign that spring is coming, or the crack of light that you see when when you know that the sun is going to rise. At the beginning of the dawn, it indicates the sun is rising. God is on the move. And so, what exactly will this son, John, do? Take a look again at verses 16 to 17. Uh, He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedience of the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Just to be clear, when we're kind of talking about this uh, gift series, experiencing the gift of a lifetime, John is not the gift. John is not the gift. He's obviously a gift to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but he's not the gift. He's not the star attraction. He's not the headline act. But John's appearance ought to bring great excitement because he's the warm-up. His main role is to point out and introduce the one who is coming. And this whole account is surrounded with exciting things. The mention of God's Holy Spirit filling John before he's born, or or his father Zechariah being filled with the Holy Spirit, verses 15 and verse 67. Indications that God is once again making himself present among his people. As Luke will remind us later in his second book, Acts, God has promised to pour out his Spirit in these last days, which are just dawning now with the birth of John the Baptist, followed by Jesus. And so it's no surprise we begin to see God is on the move. He's pouring out his spirit. Then there's this weird kind of sentence about the spirit and power of Elijah, which we don't really have all that much time for, sadly. Um, But uh, Elijah was one of the prophets in the Old Testament part of the Bible. And uh, we can kind of read bits of this to understand the message uh, given to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. We kind of need to read a bit of Malachi, the the last... uh, book in the Old Testament, particularly chapters 3 and 4. Let's not go into it now, but in chapter 4 of Malachi, we kind of get this sense that the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. So God's coming. He's going to bring an end to this desolate time that there's been. And he says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. And in Malachi chapter 4, it's kind of being fulfilled now in Luke chapter 1 with Zechariah and their son John the Baptist. He's going to be like Elijah, this one who's promised to come. He's going to have the same kind of role, the same kind of ministry. Elijah's ministry involved miraculous stuff as well as powerful word messages. John the Baptist It's more going to be powerful word messages. But he's going to take the word of God with power, God's word of salvation, with power, with the Spirit. And he's going to bring it, and people are going to call people to repentance and to faith. Things are going to happen. God is on the move. As Paul will write later in 1 Corinthians, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. We're not John the Baptist. He was a unique, uh, real person. 
uh, with a unique role, a specific time of history. But we can still be reminded this morning that we need that same power, not of ourselves, but we need the same power of God's Holy Spirit in taking his message, taking the word out with power. Maybe uh, you need to remind yourself of uh, some verses from what, if you're taking notes, we won't read them now, I'm sorry there's not time, but from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. Great verses to read on your way into work in the morning or on your way to wherever you go, whenever you go there. On the face of it, it seems that John will call people to this horizontal reconciliation, turning the hearts of the, of the parents to their children, and vertical reconciliation, turning disobedience to the righteous. Horizontal reconciliation, making people right with each other. Vertical reconciliation, making people right with God. But if you find all of that Elijah and Holy Spirit stuff too confusing, then just focus on verse 16 and uh, just the beginning and end of verse 17. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And again, uh, in Malachi, in chapter 3, verse 1, God has promised to send a messenger who will prepare the way before me. And uh, Luke will later on in chapter 3 pick up and quote from Isaiah 40, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so as we see there in chapter 3 and here in chapter 1, John's ministry was to proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And maybe that's a message you need to hear this morning. Could God be calling you back today to turn back to him, to seek his forgiveness? Maybe um, uh, if that is the case and you want to kind of discuss that with someone, then do come and, uh, and stick around in the, in the cafe afterwards. Uh, I'll be in there. I think Lou's going to be in there. And we'd love to talk to you and just kind of explore it with you in a, in a non-judgmental way. But just to kind of talk about that if you, if you want to discuss that through with someone uh, a bit later on. But this kind of ministry that was given to John can inspire us as well, those of us who are going out to invite people now. Uh, and uh, those who will be doing it during the week and, and weeks ahead in our, in our college, in our workplaces, in our neighbourhoods. Could we be preparing the way for someone? Getting them ready, calling them back to the Lord, preparing the way of the Lord. But let's also just want to kind of uh, finish inviting us to, to wonder and worship. To be excited afresh that God is on the move. That he's present among his people by his Holy Spirit. I know, I'm, I don't know if you're as bad as me, but I'm certainly tempted to kind of have this same old, same old thing about Christmas, especially when I'm asked to preach on Luke chapter 1 and, you know, kind of the same old Christmas story. And it can be, it can be a bit boring if we have the wrong heart about it all. But I've been really challenged and struck as I've, as I've looked at this, that this is exciting. God is on the move. There's been this period of silence and he's doing things again. And he's coming to rescue and save and bless. Let your heart be warmed again this Christmas. As we go through this Advent series, let's let our hearts be warmed about our God who is on the move. If you want something to chew over later on on, on this, then do have a read of Isaiah uh, chapters 40 through to chapter 44. Just amazing chapters to, to get excited and get our hearts warmed 
about what God is, what God is up to in, in these days. Isaiah 40 to 44. Uh, anyway, I'm going to f- uh, uh, finish just having a look at some of the glimpses of the gift in chapter 1, uh, verses 57 to 80. And, uh, and then and I think I'll hand back over then, Mark. So, uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 57 to 80. We're going to think more about the gift next week when we think about the one who is going to come. Uh, but let's just read this for now. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, no, he's to be called John. John means the Lord is gracious, or or the Lord is merciful, Yahweh is gracious. They said to her, there is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe, and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord. The God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he saw to our father Abraham. To rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. So here we go. Here's our, our appetite wet with these glimpses of the gift that God is giving. The merciful and gracious God, bringing redemption from enemies, rescue from enemies, but rescue too from our sin. Forgiveness of sin because of the tender mercy of God. And bringing a peace which isn't just social and political peace, but a peace which is bringing together the whole of creation, the whole of the cosmos. It's a cosmic peace God is bringing um, that we're celebrating at this time. We'll see more about that next week. But now we're going to stand and and sing, just kind of inviting to come and see uh, the breathtaking splendor of the Lord. Uh, So um, hand back over to the band.